All right, so stage five. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 to 9. Ephesians 2, 6 to 9. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Amen. A, the meaning of grace. Um, hey, Caris, uh, missing an accent somewhere, I think. Um, Caris means grace, and it refers to the mercy of God, the gift of God. Uh, it is gift because it was given. It is given without price. Um, if someone gave you um, something and asked for price, it was not a gift. Someone can say, "Well, happy birthday." By the way, this cost me hundred dollars. So I want my money back. So that's not a gift. They just delivered you in a merchandise. Um, a gift is something that's given freely. So kadis, as a concept, is a, is a gift of God. It is given without price, without works. It is freely given, um, and it is given by God unilaterally, one way. Not because you begged, not because you needed, not because you wanted, not because you were good, not because you deserve it, but because God won it. It's just one way. He just did it. He planned it, and he did it, and he does it. So that's unilateral, one way. So, and it's given from above to below, top to bottom. Uh, and because of grace, um, by faith, by the law of faith, um, we can be saved. That we can actually, um, the fact that we are, in, uh, we are under the law of faith is his grace. It is not by our deeds, but by our faith that we, be, uh, we believed in the redemption, the redeeming works of Jesus Christ, and we are saved. So salvation comes to us uh, by his grace, but through faith. And that itself is uh, grace. It is his, uh, what is grace? God's grace is the fact that he planned to give us this gift. He planned to, uh, he planned to make us the recipients those who receive his grace and not angels or any other cre uh, creatures. And um, he planned this from the beginning. From the beginning, in the beginning, before anything happened, he planned to give salvation as grace to sinners. And he gave his only begotten son without price. So priceless um, uh, is what we use to describe, the word we use to describe his grace, priceless. Um, I don't know if, I haven't seen it, but during the Olympics they used to have MasterCard commercials, priceless. I, I haven't seen it. I don't know if they are not sponsors anymore, but, um, you know, like concept of uh, valuable things, like value. What is value in your life that you can't put a price on? You know, like your first baby, for example, you know, so you are preparing diapers, Diapers, $20, whatever, for a box. Formula for $30. Um, baby stroller for, I don't know, $100. First baby, priceless, right? So it's that kind of thing. So all the things cost you money and use your MasterCard to do it, but the most important thing out of them all, you can't put a price on, right? So I love that commercial, uh, those commercials because it, it's almost like biblical. They're trying to use the biblical concept of grace that you can't put a price on something that's so precious 
to you. So uh, when you say the grace of God is priceless, it does not mean it is worthless. But be, rather it is so worthy, so um, costly, they can't put a price. Um, uh, gosh, I'm forgetting his name. Um, Dietrich, uh, gosh, what's his last name? The German, um, the old, Bonhoeffer, that's it. I, I saw his name today. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, uh, he, he was a theologian and, 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 and Christian leader at the time of Nazis, uh, Nazism. And he was uh, killed uh, by the Nazis. And he wrote a book called The Costly Grace to describe the grace of God. It is so costly, um, he gave to us without a price. There's no way for us to pay price for it, so it was freely given to us. Um, we talk about this example all the time, without food, how long can you last? Um, well, some of us, we can't last a day, not even a meal. Uh, <laughs> that's me. Uh, and, but then there are, there are those of us in this room who have done three, uh, of course, we've done, I've done three days too. I thought I was going to die. I, thought I, I really thought I was going to die. Three days, I couldn't do anything. I had to lie down. I, my head was spinning. I, I couldn't do anything. But um, there are holier people than myself. So those of you who've done five days, um, you can go without food for five days. Then, then there are those who've done 14 days, two weeks, 10 days, 14 days, and then even 40 days. I've seen people who've done 40 days uh, in our church in the past. Um, and they look like dead bodies, dead men walking. But then they have this sort of glowing about them, you know, this sort of light about them, even though their bodies are really weak. Um, so that's the uh, longest you can last without food, 40 days. The longest you can uh, last without water is um, seven days for men. And for women, about 10 days. So women can outlast men uh, when it comes to water, because we have a lot inside our body. We tame. We have extra bags of water in our body. Um, so we go from like critic, you know, important things, but more important things, more important things. We pay a lot of money for food. And with this drought, the price of food will go up starting this fall and winter and perhaps a few years coming. You know, you've seen pictures of um, drought with just dead, dried up, rotting crops, you know, uh, in the Midwest because of no rain and the heat. Uh, and because of that domino effect, everything, every price, all the prices are going up for food. Um, so food is very expensive. But then when you think about uh, water, which is more important for us than, than food, it's uh, less expensive, right? Now we try to drink purified water. So you get the bottled water or whatever filter, uh, you pay some price. Uh, in places like Europe, you can't drink any tap water. You have to buy bottled water. The first thing you, I do as soon as I land is I get water because you can't drink water from... Not that I'm going to die, but I feel like i got to get water. i got to get water. I can't drink the tap water. you got to get the bottled water, and you have to pay price for it. Uh, but even, even, even then, uh, there's something else that's even more uh, precious and important for us, and that's oxygen. How can we, how can we uh, last without oxygen? How long can you last? Uh, oh, my God, I just forgot. I'm so bad with numbers. Uh, Michael Phelps. Um, a 200 meter uh, individual medley, he, 200 meters, so it was uh, four times going back and forth. He did it um, in one, was it one, it can't be one minute, can it, can it be one minute? Couple minutes, no? I think it was a couple minutes, huh? 20 seconds, no, 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 it was one minute. Yeah, one lap, so he did it four laps. And he did one minute uh, something, some seconds. 
Michael Phelps. Heck, he can't hold his breath for one minute. How about us? Point one second, you know, we can't really breathe. Um, and oxygen is necessary. The, the moment you stop breathing, what happens to you? You turn blue and you die. Um, and do you pay a price for oxygen? Not unless you're in the hospital with oxygen mask, then you have to pay price for that. But regularly, we don't pay price for it. So the most important thing that we need to survive, there is no price. Isn't God good? Isn't he gracious that he gave us oxygen without, without a price tag? Even so, all these things are material, physical things. Uh, and I'm just giving you sort of examples to, to warm, you, warm, warm you up about the concept of the grace of God. The grace of God is beyond comparison to even oxygen. It is, it is the, the life and death um, of the only begotten Son. And God gave this life to us without a price. We didn't have to do anything for it. God just did it for us because he's the God of grace. So that's the meaning of grace, to give freely. God gave to you freely. Then we have to explain or understand and be able to explain what the content of his grace is. In the content of grace, um, there are two types. First is the general grace, and the second is special grace. Um, the way God gave grace to men, to the world, in history, were, uh, was in stages. For us to really understand the value of his grace, what God really wants to give us, and that is the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. For men to receive him uh, as they ought to, recognizing the value of the only begotten Son, his blood, God had to prepare men in history and give uh, something that's called general grace so men can prepare themselves to receive the real thing, the real gift. So that's the special grace. Uh, let's go to John 1, 17. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. One seventeen. Yes? 16. Sorry, 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. There, the one blessing after another can be interpreted as one grace after another. Grace uh, above grace or grace after grace, blessing after blessing. So there we see God giving blessing or his grace in stages, one after the other. So uh, we have to uh, understand what this uh, is. So general grace is also called a former grace because he gave it first. And it is uh, through all things that he made, the creation. So in Romans 1.19 uh, and 20, if um, men see the things that God made, they are to recognize the divine power of God that called all things to be and gave them to men. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, after God made the first man and the woman... He blessed them to, uh, to multiply, uh, be fruitful, and conquer the world, conquer the land to, uh, to rule over it, right? So um, the first man and the first woman uh, were given this authority to enjoy the whole world um, uh, under their authority. And also for Adam, God gave the authority to rule over the garden. So he was able to enjoy the environment, all the things that came with it uh, in the garden. So all things what men call nature, so-called nature, uh, was given to all men, for all men, by God as general, uh, general grace. And whether men believe in Jesus or not, whether men are atheists, believers of God, or even atheists, 
whether uh, they are good or evil, um, men or women, free or slaves, um, educated or not, civilized or barbarians, it doesn't matter. Everyone can benefit from the general grace. Uh, and then those who receive the general grace, who receive all things and say, thank you, God, who made all things, who gave us all things. So men who have faith in the general grace, the giver of the general grace, then can receive the next, the real thing. And that's the special grace, which is also referred to as the latter grace because it came later. And this is through the only begotten son. So, for, uh, so the only begotten son, uh, through him, all those who believe him can receive this special grace. So only those who believe. So in the beginning, it is for all to enjoy uh, all the things that God made through the so-called nature. Um, but only those who believe that God gave them that, only, only those who believe in the creator God, the giver of life, um, can then receive uh, the special grace. They believe and receive the special grace through the only begotten Son. They believe that Jesus, the Son of God, is the grace of God, and therefore they can be blessed. All right, so then what did God give us through the Son of God, through the only begotten Son, through the special grace? What did God give us? What is the content um, of that grace? So we're going to look at that um, in different parts, uh, more in details. First, it's the redemption um, of our sins and the forgiveness of our sins. Go to Ephesians 1 7. Ephesians 1 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So, what God gave as grace, as this gift, for all to receive uh, is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now, many, uh, many people, many so-called Christians are confused about these two and they consider them as the same, but they're not. Um, we have to understand the subtle differences between the two concepts. And last stage, last week you, you heard, you were reminded about the concept of redemption. Um, uh, so we have to understand these two different um, concept for us to understand the content of his grace. So in the beginning, before, um, before man sinned, before the angel sinned, before any space was made, before anything happened, God decided men to be the objects of his mercy, uh, the receivers, the recipients of his grace, his blessing. This was decided in the beginning, in the beginning, because God is the Lord of um, grace. And according to his timetable, according to God's schedule, his dispensation, he worked to bring this grace to men. And finally, when it was time, about 2,000 years ago from our time now, he sent his son. He sent the son um, to, as man to die. God sent his son to die, to die as an atoning sacrifice, to die as a sacrifice, as a redeeming sacrifice for all men. And that is why uh, Jesus was born. That's why Jesus came to the world, to die in order to redeem our sins. And when we believe in the works of Jesus Christ, we say, Jesus died to redeem my sins. He died as a sacrifice in my place. That faith then brings forgiveness 
for us. So we are then forgiven. Okay, so all men uh, were redeemed, but not everyone believes. Only those who believe can be forgiven and be saved, as we read in Ephesians 2, 8 before. Uh, so let's look at the difference between the redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I just switched the table uh, orientation for the handout and the table because it wouldn't fit here. Redemption is what was done at the cross 2,000 years ago by Jesus, by the Son of God. And it was for all men. All men. Uh, whether, again, whether they believe, oops, what's going on? whether they believe or not, whether they are obedient or not, whether they are good or not, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, it doesn't matter. For all men, God sent his son to die at the cross 2,000 years ago. So uh, without knowing, without receiving, without wanting, men were all redeemed. All men were redeemed 2,000 years ago. Now, the subtle yet big difference in terms of the effect is um, the forgiveness of sin. Because if you are forgiven, then you are saved. If you're not forgiven, then you go to hell. So they seem, I said they were subtle because men tend to think it's about the forgiveness. But um, the effect is, the result is um, heaven and hell. If you don't believe in the forgiveness, uh, in the redemption of Jesus, then you will not be forgiven, therefore you'll go to hell. Right. The forgiveness of sin is, is critical. Right. So how does forgiveness happen or when does it happen? It happens this day. The day you call this day when you believe is the day you're forgiven. Um, and it is for, uh, the forgiveness is given by the Father. The one who forgives is the Father. Okay? Uh, and it is on, for those who believe in the redemption of the Son. As I think I drew the um, timeline last week. So now it's 2,000 plus years ago from this time, from this day, when you, whenever you call this day, um, that Jesus died. Um, and when he died, his works, um, what he gave through his death is called redemption. So redemption was done for all men, um, like I said, good or evil. But forgiveness that happens this day is only for those who believe in the redemption of Jesus Christ. So let's quiz you. So... Um, Pastor King always says uh, Hitler or Kim Il-sung, but I'm going to say Osama bin Laden because we are 2012. So was Osama bin Laden um, redeemed? Was he redeemed? Was he redeemed of his sins? Yes. Where is he now? Was he saved? Why not? Because he didn't believe. This is according to the Bible. All right, so according to the Bible, understanding the grace of God and the redemption of sin, the forgiveness... Not because he uh, was a terrorist. Not because he sent those jihadists and those radical uh, Muslims to uh, fly into Wall Trade Center and 9-11 happened. Not because of that. 
but because he didn't believe. Um, had he believed, then he would have been forgiven in spite of all the evil things he, he, he did. So the matter of salvation is, uh, depend, it depends on faith in the forgiveness, uh, in the redemption of Jesus Christ. All right? And the result is forgiveness. Outcome is forgiveness. But you, we need to believe in the redemption. Again, redemption, I spent an hour and a half last week, uh, is to believe what Jesus did, who he is and what he did when he died. And he died as the atoning sacrifice for all sinners, for all men. So God showed his abundant grace by sending his only begotten son, his son, his innocent son, to die at the cross, um, to be condemned as a sinner, to die as a sinner, to become sin uh, for us, to become sin on our behalf so that he would die uh, with sin, with our sins, with my sins. He would die with the price of sin, that is death of the spirit. He would die with the condemnation of the law and the devil, the accuser. He would absorb all of that onto his body. And that's what happened at the cross. And when I believe, amen, when I say amen, amen, it's, I, it is truly, so be it, I agree 100% and I accept. The moment you accept and receive is called uh, faith. This is moment of faith. And when, as a result of your faith, your sins are then forgiven. Do you believe that? That your sins are forgiven, blotted out, like a whiteout. You use a whiteout to cover your mistakes that you wrote with your pen. Whiteout completely so that you are innocent in the eyes of God. Do you believe that? Even if you sin all your life, even if you kill thousands of people, you massacred, you massacred and killed and beheaded and you did horrible, horrible stuff and you're the most wicked man on earth. Uh, yet by believing, simply believing that one time belief that faith in the redemption of Jesus, you are forgiven. Hallelujah. So then you will say, how can it be? It's not fair for all those other people who work so hard for their redemption, for their uh, forgiveness. That's why it's grace. That's why it's gift. It doesn't make sense because it's gift. It's gift. It is given to undeserving people like me and like you. And the blood that was shed from the cross is called the precious blood. The precious blood of Jesus. Uh, when we think of his blood, we think of his blood as being precious. Uh, because his blood is not like our blood. His blood is not like silver or gold that perishes, that um, rots, that disappears. Therefore, its work disappears. The blood of animals that uh, the Jews um, shed for about 1,500 years um, under the law of Moses uh, was thought of as uh, redeeming, atoning the sins of Israel. Yet they had to do it year after year because it was not effective for uh, eternity. It was only effective for one year. Even so, the sin in their spirit remained. So no, no animal, no blood of animal can take away sins of men in reality. But by promise and by their faith, they continue to do so, so that uh, the redemption of Jesus Christ would also take effect uh, in them and they will be also uh, redeemed. Um, so the blood of Jesus is the blood of God. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says, uh, in, talk, in Paul talking about the church that, G, uh, that Jesus bought, it, said, uh, it says that he purchased the church with his own blood. So the blood of Jesus, because Jesus is God, the Son of God, and his essence is God, his blood is the blood of God. And that's the blood that redeemed our sins, that forgives us, that gives us uh, life 
today when we believed. And through the resurrection of Jesus, it was proven that his blood, the blood of Jesus, was diff is different from the blood of the other men who died uh, next to him. So it is impossible, as absolutely impossible for men to escape the punishment of sin. There's no way, no matter how many hours they prayed, and it's true today, no matter how many hours you pray, no matter how uh, good you are to your neighbors and to all the poor people that you help, no matter how gentle you are, no matter how dedicated you are to whatever, there's no way for you to escape the fire of hell, the punishment of, your, the punishment of your sin. There's no way. You can rip your skin and break your bones and kill, kill yourself, put yourself to death, yet there is no way for you to escape the price of uh, sin, the wage of sin, uh, the judgment for your sins. Yet God, because he sent his son out of his grace, we simply believe in. We believe in the works of Jesus Christ. We receive the works of Jesus Christ. We receive the blood, the precious blood of Jesus, the blood of God. And by doing so, we are forgiven. This no animal can do, no righteous man can do, since no man is righteous uh, in the eyes of God. Only God can do this. Only God, who is the Lord of grace, can do this. Let's look at um, Colossians 2, 13 to 14. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Amen. So when it says the written document, written code, the written document says that we are sinners doomed to die. We are sinners, slaves of the devil, because we are slaves to sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, as I said this before, when he died, it wasn't just the body of Jesus that hung on the cross, but he died with my sins. Do you believe that? And the nail, the nails on the cross held not just Jesus, but my sins, your sins, and the price of sin. Now, what brings charges against sinners? It's the law, the written code. And even the law, Jesus nailed it to the cross. How? By fulfilling its requirement. What, is the, what, is, what does the law want? What does the law do? It condemns. Did you forget the logos test? All right, so what does the law do? The law condemns. It condemns sinners. And what does it want sinners to do? To die, because the wage of sin is death. But by dying as the last Adam, Jesus, is one, through his one-time death, he absorbs sin unto his body, death unto his body, the con condemning law, the written code unto his body. So it was ripped, it was burned, it was destroyed. So we no longer have to be bondage to the devil, to sin, to the price of sin. Hallelujah. That's what was accomplished at the cross. It was the power of the blood of Jesus, the precious blood of Jesus that uh, brought us to redemption and forgiveness and therefore salvation. This is grace. Amen? So the requirement of the law is condemnation. Romans 5.20 says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Even though sin was in the world without the law, no man can know that he has sinned, that he's a sinner. And once, once the law came, then men, as they tried to live by the law, 
try to honor God, try to not worship idols, try to not blaspheme against the name of the Lord, try to keep the Sabbath, try to honor the parent, try to not kill, try not to steal, try not to commit adultery, try not to do all these things and even lie, try not to do it, try not to do it. But the more they tried, the more they realized they were breaking, therefore they realized that they were sinners. So the function of the law was to condemn men to be sinners. Uh, and that's what Romans 3:19 to 20 uh, says, for men to come to confession and say, "I am a sinner." The law silences every mouth. When it says every mouth, it means the mouth, of course, sinners, obvious sinners like prostitutes and tax collectors and murderers and these, they will of course say they're, gonna, they're sinners. But it's, uh, those includes those who consider themselves to be righteous, like the Pharisees and Sadducees and the law, uh, teachers of the law, rabbis, all those men, they consider themselves to be righteous and therefore they use their own lips to judge other people. I'm righteous, therefore you are all sinners uh, and I need to judge you, you need to die. All right. So they can actually speak for their righteousness. But by the law coming, um, uh, the, if, the, if they understood the true function of the law, it should have silenced their mouths. But of course, they did not understand the law. They did not understand the true function of the law. So when Jesus um, spoke in parables as he was teaching, uh, in, especially in front of the Pharisees and all those uh, Jewish leaders at the time, he called them in parables. He was talking about whitewashed tombs. Right. So tombs... Graves, they have um, rottening flesh and bones inside the cave. Back then, they had, used to have caves and where they put the dead. Uh, so they would seal it with, another, uh, with a stone. Outside, they would paint the stone with white so it would look clean. But inside, there was the dead. The dead rottening, smelling, and horrible. And he, Jesus compared the Pharisees and the scribes to white, white tombs. On the outside, they acted like they were righteous because by their deeds, they thought they were going to be saved. But if they truly understood the function of the law, they would have said, I'm a sinner. No matter how good I try to be outside and I may appear, I'm still a sinner. I need, a save, I need the Savior. So the function of the law was to lead men to confess that they are sinners. Uh, because the requirement of the law was to condemn uh, condemned sinners. And, and what Paul said in, the, uh, in Romans 7 was that when the law came, sin, it made sin utterly sinful. Right? So it is sin, but it made sin utterly sinful. And this was all for sinners to be led to the Savior. Jesus said, I did not come uh, to uh, to." The healthy does not need doctor. Healthy does not need a physician. It's the sick that needs the doctor. I did not come for the righteous. I did not come to seek the righteous, but the lost, to save the lost, to save sinners. So only those confess themselves to be sinners in need of the Savior, in need of salvation, say, I have no right, I have no deeds, there's no way for me to be saved except for the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Uh, for them to confess that, for them to accept that, the law came first. Right? So in that sense, the law had to, uh, one has to know the law first to know grace. You can't just have grace by itself because it won't be grace. All men have to come under the condemnation of the law and say, I am utterly sinful. 
I need a Savior. What a wretched man I am who will save me from this body of destruction. That's what Paul said at the end of the chapter of seven, chapter 7. And as you know about Paul, Paul was this Pharisee, one of these self-righteous men. He was so zealous that he was holding the cloak of Steph, uh, the, the stoner, uh, who were, the men who were stoning Stephan. They, he was helping them, supporting them, and he was going to do more of that kind of uh, persecuting work. Yet when he met Jesus, and the more he understood about who Jesus was, he came to know uh, Jesus, he came to know himself as utterly sinful man, a wretch. Right? So he came to understand the true meaning of the law, therefore who he truly is. So the law had to come first to bring the good news for all those men who are oppressed, oppressed, who are oppressed, who are hopeless, who are condemned, who are wretches, who are sinners, to release them from that oppression, release them from the chain. So that's why it is the good news. It's the good news for sinners. It's the good news for those who need to be saved. It's not what's sweet to the ears. I, I preach about that on Sunday. It's just because it's, it says it's the good news. Many people think that if I go to church, I'm going to hear something that makes me feel good. And then they will come. You don't have to go out in the streets when it's 100 degrees outside and say, please come one more time, one more time, just once, just once. Give me your phone number, just once. Just. Can I just text you? I'm not going to call you. I'm just going to text you. Coffee? Meal? Dinner? It's on me. I'll buy everything. I'll do anything. Just come once, once, once. Uh, you don't need to do that. They will come. These, these people will go to these churches where the good news is preached because they think good news is something that's sweet to their ears, that makes them feel good about themselves and want them more, physical things of the world. If you believe Jesus, you'll be rich. If you, if you believe Jesus, you'll be, your broken heart will be mended. If you believe Jesus, your broken family will be mended. Uh, no divorce, no sickness, no um, homelessness, um, no uh, depression, no anxiety. You're going to be happy. Your life will be perfect. Every day will be like Friday. Every day Friday. Every day is good life. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. The reason why you don't enjoy your life is because the devil has taken away from you. Sounds right, right? And Jesus came and he suffered. He suffered at the cross so that you can enjoy your life today. When I watch that, just the blood pressure rises. I just want to throw the remote control at the TV because I got so mad, so mad. But that's what's occupying all the God TV, church TV, whatever programs, you know, every day, sitting around the couch. So what is your hobby? Jesus set you free. So what is your hobby? Well, I'm a pastor in England, and I took up motorcycle because I was missing something in my life. This guy is a pastor. He's a pastor of a church in England. So I took up motorcycle so that I can join the motorcycle club, bike riding club. And it's a new culture. It's so exciting. I get to new the, meet these bikers. First, I thought, I was like, oh, maybe he's going to say I evangelize to the bikers. He didn't say anything about that. And he said, oh, I get to learn about that. I learn about the bikes. I learn about Harley Davidson, whatever. He's talking about all that. And... Um, okay, I'm going to just say that. Joyce Meyer. Right? Joyce Meyer says, oh, really? We golf. You bike? We golf. My husband and I golf all the time, and we enjoy our time. And, we, you know, and she was saying her husband goes, how many courses? How many things? Golf? 18. I say, I know nothing about golf. So 18. So he doesn't say anything because he, he has random partners to golf with. And then by the 18th hole, yeah, 18th hole, he says, by the way, my wife is an author. Why don't you read a book? Here's her book. I was like working out, and I was like, I was getting so mad. You call yourself a Christian. I was getting so mad. When did Apostle Paul have a hobby and look for hobbies? He was busy giving up his life. 
But people think that this is good news. And if you go to Barnes and Noble, it's the biggest section in religion, whatever, Christianity, it's Joyce Meyer and all they'll like. Um, and I mean, of course, I'm not here to bash individuals, but um, if that's what she or anybody is preaching, that's not the gospel. Um, the gospel is what Jesus did for sinners who deserve to die in hell and pay the price of their sin forever in the fire of hell. It is not about living your life to your fullest. Every day is enjoyable. It's not about that. Yes, it can be that. Yes, it can, you, the, receiving the gospel and being forgiven through his grace can bring those byproducts, you know, side effects. I, I want to call it side effects. Healing is your side effect. You know, when you take medication, side effects, good side effects. When you, when you are forgiven of sins, you have the side effect of being healed. You have side effect of becoming happy. Side effect of uh, broken relationship, being reconciled. Side effects, they're not the main thing. Even though they're critical in experiencing, to bring you experience so you can become a faithful person, a man of strong faith, they're not the real thing. The true thing is redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Is this what you want? Amen? Good news. It is the good news for sinners under the law waiting for death. And the gospel declares, as Jesus said to the paralytic man, Son, your sins have been forgiven. Now get up and walk. Your sins have been forgiven. So God gave the forgiveness of sin as grace. Uh, and for us to truly uh, accept and know forgiveness, we have to know the law. You have to know the law. And the reason why in our church do we go through the Old Testament, yes, it is to talk about the will of God according to the schedule of the, his, uh, the Bible, starting with the attribute of God, what he did in the beginning at the at, with Adam, Israel, Moses, the sanctuary, the temple, the disciples, uh, his death, the Holy Spirit, the church, and me. That's the sort of the timeline of all the preaching in our church. Um, but it is also for us to understand in how God gave grace in history, through history, in steps. And for us to get to the moment of the cross of Jesus and accept and be thankful, be moved by what he did for me, we have to first go to the law. Meet Moses first. Know Moses, know the law of Moses first, the law first, and be condemned so that you are left without hope. You are in fear, in fear of judgment, of punishment. We all need to go through that for us to truly know the gospel. Then we can know that freedom that the truth gives. So those who know grace, they know that the law is good. But those who do not know his grace, they are still under uh, the fear of the law. Right? I mean, we truly have to fear the law, fear the punishment of sin. But if we uh, receive the gospel as a result of re uh, receiving the law, knowing the law, then we should no longer be afraid, do it out of fear. But we understand the law is holy and it is good. It is righteous and it is good. Because without the law, I would not know the gospel. I would not know the grace of God. The law brings me to Christ. Therefore, I can be set free. So the law is good. Amen. So Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So when Jesus said, all you who are weary and burdened, he wasn't talking about construction workers or laborers or movers with heavy boxes. Oh, thank you. I don't need to hear you carry my boxes. Like we, some people we know, they work for moving, moving company. They're always moving stuff. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was speaking to those who struggle under the law, fearing the price of sin, 
the, res uh, the result of their sin. Come to me and I will give you rest, those who are burdened and weary. So we need to first be burdened and weary and meet Jesus to find that peace, that rest, that freedom. The greatest gift is the forgiveness of sin. And this was given by God to us through the redemption of Jesus Christ. When you are young, um, or when you're naive, or even when you're self-righteous because you've been in church for a long time or you're Christian all your life, this the understanding of forgiveness is abstract. It's just part of the formula you have to memorize. Jesus died for me. He forgave my sins. Thank you. And it's not real. But as you grow and as you struggle to live by the word and to obey, you realize you're disobeying and you're sinning, um, and you find yourself to be a sinner. And not only that, after, even after receiving grace, even after knowing his grace, we still sin, even though we may not sin the same sins, even though um, it's not as severe if there's such a thing, but it's not as bad as before, you feel like you killed someone, right? Am I the only one? Yeah? You killed somebody, Pastor? It's like, it's like what? <laughs> Pay attention. That's not what I mean. Uh, I might have killed someone in the past. Today, I'm not killing, the, I'm not killing anyone. But let's say I yelled at somebody, or uh, I should have resolved it in a different way. I go home and I, I, I repent. I feel bad right away. And I said, oh, I should not have done that. I should have said it differently. I should have not hurt their feelings or whatever. So even though you're not doing the bad things with your hands, with your mouth, with, with your legs, even with your thought and your heart, even your dreams, you've done something that you consider as more evil today than you ever did. Therefore, you feel like you killed somebody. You know, it's the weight of sin. And the more you know yourself to be a sinner, the more you know his grace. That's somebody who knows grace as opposed to someone who doesn't. It's like, why are they always crying? For what? They don't know grace. Um, if you know who you are, so the reason why you need to know about who you are and how sinful you are even this day is for you to be moved and shocked by his grace. His grace has to be shocking news. It's like, how can it be that I've been forgiven of all my countless sins? Uh, and, you know, we hear pastors says, uh, saying this too. It's, we repent one time for our sins, and he forgives us. And sometimes we have these really embarrassing and shameful and regretful stuff we did in the past, and we repented that a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. But I still repent for it today. I don't have to. The sins are forgiven. He's accepted my repentance. But I still regret it. I still feel ashamed. I, I feel bad. I feel wicked for what I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Because you understand who you are. The more you know about the law, the more you know about who God is, the more you know about his word, the more you know about his holiness and his righteousness, the more you know yourself to be sinful. And the more you know yourself to be sinful, the greater his grace becomes. That's why it says, where sin increases, grace increases. If you want to know grace, if you want to be moved like everyone else in the room, 
You need to know who you are. You really need to come to repentance that you are confession, that you are the wicked sinner, the sinner in the room, not someone else. If you then know his grace, you will find joy. You will find joy that no man can take away. Nothing can take away from you. Even if something horrible happens to you and you feel like it's not fair, all these things you lose and you are taking, all the things are taken away from you and even your face, right? You can't even save your face. You are embarrassed and you are mocked and you have no place to stand even in the church. You cannot lose that joy if you really know his grace. So you would joyfully serve him. You would joyfully follow him. You would joyfully and gladly and thankfully serve God, serve Jesus. Amen. In Hebrews 10, 17 to 18, it says, Jesus made through his death once for all a perfect atoning sacrifice. Jesus became an atoning sacrifice, a perfect one. Because no animal sacrifice can become perfect. It was not, no animal was perfect sacrifice. But Jesus, who is God himself, became flesh. Jesus became, he is the incarnate word, the incarnate flesh, incarnate spirit, incarnate um, God. His, uh, the word became flesh, the word became blood. So that his blood that he shed at the cross, as he died, is the blood of God that through its one-time shedding washes away sins of all men, whereas animals had to be killed every year under the law of Moses. And it was just that one year that they would live by the blessing of God as a result of the forgiveness or atonement of their sins through the animals. But Jesus, because he is eternal, his blood is eternal. And his shedding uh, brings an effect that is eternal. So by his shedding one time, we are redeemed forever. Hallelujah. We don't need to give sacrifice. We don't need to do anything for that redemption. It was done. It was done once for all. So he now sees us when we, after we have received the blood of Jesus, he now sees us, our souls, as being blameless, spotless, clean, cleansed, holy, like Jesus. Like Jesus. That there is no difference when he's, not my flesh, but my soul, that has the blood of Jesus. When I receive his blood, and the blood brings life in my, in my, in my spirit, uh, in, in, this, in this shell, God sees that blood in us growing, same as the blood of Jesus. How can that be? How can that be that I can't contain, I can hold, I can be considered as blameless, spotless, precious blood of Jesus? This is only by his grace. Amen? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.56 Um, says that no one can avoid the power of the law. No one can escape from the sting of sin because the power of the law is sin and the power of sin is death. And the reason why men fear the law is because it brings death. It has power to condemn sinners to die. So this is why men are afraid of the law. But when Jesus died at the cross, um, 
You remember the Pac-Man thing that we did in Logos, right? The Pac-Man eats the cherry, blah, 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 eats all the ghosts, like that. When Jesus died, he absorbed um, the sinner, the dead man, the, the, the souls that are dead in, uh, because of sin. Uh, we were dead. That sin, he absorbed his body. And the, and, and the law of Moses, that condemned, the law that condemned sin, was also absorbed. And the devil who uses the law to bring charges against us were also, was also eaten. So Jesus took all of it onto his body. So we are no longer under the law that condemns us. There is no condemnation who are under the gospel who have received the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Only by the precious blood of Jesus. This is possible. Second content is the works of Jesus Christ. Go to Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Go to two, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. The works of Jesus Christ refer to the suffering that Jesus bore in his flesh, what he did with his flesh. Yes, he died, but it also includes his suffering, uh, the passion of Christ. The, pa- the word passion that we use daily, like have passion for Christ, have passion for Jesus, uh, for, for kingdom of Christ, be passionate, love with passion, do with passion. The word passion uh, comes from uh, the original uh, uh, word which means suffering. So when we say the suffering of Christ, it, it is the pa- passion of Christ. Passion of Christ refers to what he did, what he suffered. Um, he gave his works to all men as grace. And what he did is what we read here in, uh, in, in Isaiah 53. He was pierced, crushed, punished, striped, and became poor. And those who receive this grace can be, as a result, forgiven of their transgressions, be set free from all diseases because he bore all our sicknesses unto his body. All diseases, cancer, diabetes, uh, anxieties, depressions, all the sicknesses, all sufferings he absorbed unto his body so that we can experience uh, his freedom, uh, freedom that he gives us through his works, uh, freedom from all sicknesses, and therefore we can know the true re- uh, salvation. By, by, uh, by being healed, what we know is that there, our salvation that we receive through his grace, the promise of salvation from the fire of hell where we live, is real. So healing is, in that sense, very important for us to physically experience his salvation, his redemption. Uh, Hebrews 4, let's go to 4, 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And also 2, 14, chapter 2, uh, verse 14 Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death we might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those all who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
So we have a high priest who went ahead of us, who is, we do not have, we, who is uh, someone who is not able to, um, who is able to sympathize with us. We are, the, our high priest is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he also has flesh. He also has flesh. And as we went over last week too, his flesh, even though he is 100% God and his flesh, his essence is God, he became 100% man. And this is not fathomable for us. This is not a real, realistic concept for humans. But only God can do this. The incarnation of the word, incarnation of the spirit of God, means that God became flesh 100% in order for him to taste the weaknesses and suffer and die. And because Jesus had flesh and blood, he was able to die. We, on the other hand, because we have flesh and blood, we sin. Right? Because we have flesh, we sin. We fall. And even after the retreat, uh, I was saying this like last week too, I feel, I, when I thought about the retreat for, for days and days last week, I was crying. I was like weeping. What a wonderful time because I really felt the Holy Spirit was working and I received, I, it was even more gracious for me than anyone else in the room, I felt. And his grace was just surrounding me. But now it's week two, so I got to get to the next thing. It's like, which, let's do the dedication. Where's the script? Let's do this. So it's not that I forgot about it, uh, but because of my flesh, when it's out of its environment, then it gets adjusted to this new environment. You know, this flesh is just so sensitive to where it lives and what it, where it is. And when it's in the grace of God, in the presence of his grace, like the time of retreat and, and Zoe and all these spiritual time, then it's just heavenly. But then when it comes back home, my home sweet home, my battlefield, then it, it, it falls. It fails me. The flesh fails me. However, because of this flesh, we can receive the grace of God. And this is not allowed or promised for angels. Only for Abraham's descendants, here it says. Only for humans. Only for those who have flesh. So be, even though because of our flesh we become lazy, we become sick, we grow old, and we get betrayed. These fle the flesh betrays us. The heart is willing, the mind is willing, but the body is weak. I want to do so many things while I'm in my body, but my body says, I can't go anymore. Kaput. Done. But because of this weak flesh, because of our weaknesses, we can receive the grace of God. So even this flesh, yes, this flesh is the grace of God. Amen. So then let's ask the question, what's the purpose? Why did he give us grace? Why was it grace? Ephesians 2.9 says, as we read, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast. God gave us this amazing gift so that no one can boast. You can't go around and say, look, I pay the price. One million dollars or whatever the joke. <laughs> I paid $100,000 for this. I paid $100 for this. I pay for it. It was my money. I pray for, I fasted 40 days for it. Or I went to church for 25 years for it. So I received grace. 
so you can boast, right? Because it was all you're doing. I'm holier than you because I come to pray every day. I pray for hours and hours. I'm better than you. And that's why I receive his grace. The reason why God gave us grace without cost, without price, is to shut your mouth, to shut my mouth. So I cannot say, I did it. It was all me. It was, it's, it's rather for us to say it's all him. It's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus, I'm alive today. It's all because of Jesus, I have been forgiven. Amen. Amen. If we said that it was for 40 days fasting, his grace would be worth 40 days of fasting. If it were 25 years of service in the church, uh, then his grace would be worth 25 years of service in the church. His grace is not cheap like that. To us, it's a big deal. I went to church for 25 years. I've been serving in the choir for 25 years. I've been doing this for 30 years. To us, it's a big deal. To God, it's cheap. His grace is not cheap. His grace is costly. And to, for us to know that it's costly, he gave it to us without a price tag for free so that we won't show off ourselves, but we will show off Jesus. Jesus alone is my boast, my pride, Ephesians 1, 6 says, To the praise of his glory, great, glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Because God knows how he made us, he knows who we are, how we are. Because he's the designer. He, he, he's the planner. He's the maker. So he knows how we function. And he knows that we have the nature to want to boast, to show off. It's just nature. From early on, from young age, we show off. So kids go to school with toys. When they have new toy, they go to school to show off. Look what I got. And some good kids, are, I mean, some of them are good nature, so they won't show off. But a bunch of them are show-offs. Like, nah, 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 look what I have. Right? So they, have, they do that. Or they like to race. And Erin doesn't like to race, so which is, uh, I guess she can be humble. But you, her friends are all running fast, and she just gives up. She's like, I can't run fast. But everybody's like, yeah, I'm number one. See, I did, I did it. I can see that. Even at that age, she's like six, seven years old, and she's already competing, and all the other kids are competing, and they want to be number one, number one. And then when they get a little older, then they do, my daddy is blah, blah, blah. My daddy's better than yours because my daddy is blah, 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 right? So my daddy's the boss. No, my daddy's the boss because my daddy's a doctor. No, my daddy's an astronaut. Oh, yeah? My mother is the best. So they go on and on and on. They show off. Um, and then when they grow older, um, the, the, what, what's the saying? The, more to, more toy, the, the guy who wins the most toys, I'm, I'm going to mess up the saying, it wins, right? So the more toys you have, you win. So you're the winner if you have more reasons to boast about. So if you have lots of healthy, successful children, then you are the bomb. You are the star of all your friends, you know college reunion, whatever, friends gathering, and then you, say, you, you sit there, hi, how you doing? Did I tell you about my kids? You know, so, how you doing? It's like, oh, they're so well. Yeah, they, go, they all go to Harvard, and they're all doctors, and all that stuff. So they have, they just, they can't wait till, they can't wait till, like, ask me, ask me, ask me. Um, so if, if, they, if they get a new bag or new jewelry that's really expensive, they have to make separate seat for their bag, you know, <laughs> display for everybody to come in and see, this is my bag, this is my bag. So, you know, so everyone can kind of shrink before their pride. And if they don't have what other people have and they have no reason to boast, then they're sad and depressed. And that's how the world works and that's how worldly people function. And even in the church, as Christians and even in our church, we are not as 
worldly as them. We don't talk about those things. But we say, oh, did I tell you about my regional group? We had five newcomers last week. Can't wait till the competition in December. <laughs> so how many people did you bring? It's like, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.5, 0. 0.25, 0. 0.25. Anyway, so we, we find ways, you know, to show off, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, my daughter speaks in tongues. How about your daughter? So, you know, it's, it's just like holy competition. So we, have, we find ways to be better than others. We show off because it, we try not to do that, but it's such human nature. You know, you open up your mouth and you're always showing off. And he, because he knows that, God gave us grace for free with no works, without price. So you can't be a show-off. The only one that you can show off is Jesus. The only one you can boast and say, my number one, the only one who made me this way, the only one who can save me like this is Jesus. Jesus alone is my pride. Even if I have no dime to my name, even if I don't own anything, and even if my all my college roommates or whatever, school uh, graduates, colleagues are making fun of me or they laugh at me, I'm proud. I'm never going to be embarrassed because I have Jesus. His grace. His grace gives me pride and joy and confidence. If you really know his grace, then you would be proud because of Jesus. Only by Jesus, only for Jesus, only through Jesus. Even after years of serving, years of preaching, years of doing all these things in the church, the only thing we can say is it's all because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. It's not by me, but it's only by his grace. By, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, the more I learn about the word, the more about, Jesus, uh, more about Jesus and what he's done and about the will of God, the more I learn about the word, I learn about myself. Only thing I can say is, by his grace, I am what I am. By his grace. Only by his grace. So if you receive grace, then you know that you have been bought at the price uh, by the blood of Jesus. At the price of the blood of Jesus. That you have been sold. Auction says, sold to that guy with nail marks on his hands. To that, person, to that lamb of God. And we, have been, we are souls who have been bought, sold at the price of the blood of Jesus. So no one can buy us again. Jesus cannot return. He's not going to return us. I don't want this. I'm going to take it back to the store, right? He's not going to do that. Because his blood is eternal. And his purchase with his eternal blood was also eternal. So we are the Lord's forever. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter if we are not fruitful today. It doesn't matter how many um, times you try to do it and you don't bear fruit. And I have my share of um, frustration of not having fruit. It's just like, you know, I think I did it, but I'm not having fruit. I don't see much fruit. I don't see much growth. I don't see any disciples being made in the room. And it gets so discouraging. Uh, but I am worth the blood of Jesus. I can't give up, and I can't be discouraged, and I can't be sad. I'm not going to be depressed because Jesus is never going to return me. He's never going to give me back to the devil. Hallelujah. I've been sold. I've been sold at, at the price of the blood of God, the blood of the king of kings. And this alone gives me joy. Nothing else, but this alone gives me joy. So you know who, what your true worth is. Even though, you, you know, in the world you get depressed, you get sad because, oh, nobody loves me. It's the same old, same old. No one loves me. Everyone hates me because of 
X, Y, Z. Because I don't have this, I'm not like this, I don't look like this. So they don't feel good about themselves and they are, therefore they hate themselves, they hate other people and they live miserable life. Christians are those who are so happy, so joyful, so content. I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be in want. Why not? It's because I have the blood of God in me and it makes me worth the blood of God. Amen? Because when God sees me, he says, you are worth my life. You are worth my life, he says. You're worth my death. Who's going to die for you? Who's going to die for me? And uh, I said this many times. I think uh, being a mother, I understand the mother's love. The only person in the world, sorry, Bob, is probably the one that I can die for is probably Aaron. Uh, but he knows that already. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure about father, but mother have that. Mothers have that because we actually physically bore our ch children. So we have physical connection with our children. Fathers, they need great faith. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean, right? You, got, you, you men need great faith that your children are yours. It doesn't matter when people say, oh, your son looks like you, your daughter looks like you. But um, I told you many times, even your dogs, after you have them for 20 years, they start to look like you. You've seen those people, right? They walk on the streets. Dogs look the same as their owners. How, how can that be? It's because they learn the face, you know, the facial gestures, so they look like the owner. So just because your children look like you doesn't mean, may not be <laughs> yours, but have faith. Have great faith uh, that, <laughs> that your daughter is yours and your son is yours. But mothers know that um, their children are theirs. They're the only ones. Um, and because of that, they can give their life for them. But that's it. You know, even for myself, I can't, am I worth dying for? Right? Um, and even after all that I have done, am I worth dying for? By anyone, even myself? But God died for me. And this amazes me. This moves me. And I preached about this the very last talk before the retreat was over. My worth, my net worth, you know, like Steve Jobs or uh, Bill Gates or um, uh, Zuckerberg, the Facebook guy, you know, net worth. What's their net worth or worth? What's their worth? You know, Fortune 500, whatever. You know, they're worth billions of dollars, blah, blah, blah. I'm not even worth billion dollars. Who's going to pay billion dollars for me? But God paid the blood of Jesus, his own blood for me. Isn't that amazing? That's why his grace is amazing, amazing grace. So wherever you are, however you are, and however your life may look, you have nothing to be bragging about. You have one thing that you will never lose, that you, can, you must brag about to the last breath of your, your life, and that's Jesus. The blood of Jesus is what I'm going to brag about all my life. Even if the world takes away my life and I don't even have health, and if the people say, you receive grace, you're a Christian, and you're blessed, and you're sick, and nobody's healing you, you don't get any help, you have no money, nothing, I'm not going to be intimidated by that. I'm not going to be discouraged by that because I have the blood of God. I, my soul has been bought by the blood of God, and that gives me joy and confidence to boast about him until the last breath of my life. Hallelujah. Boasting my weakness.
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11:30, "If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness." So those who boast about Jesus do not boast about their strength. They boast about their weakness. They they boast how lowly they are, how foolish they are, how weak they are. Just to be frank and and open. You know, who's going to want to talk about that? Nobody wants to talk about their weaknesses. It's embarrassing. When you want to stand up you know, in front of class and you're giving a presentation about yourself, you're not going to stand there and say, hi, my name is Joe Kim, and I'm no good for nothing. I mean, nobody's going to say that. You're going to go be like, well, I have done this. My hobby is this. I want trophy for this. You know, they always talk about their strength. But boasting Jesus means boasting your weakness, how lowly you are, not how highly you, highly you are, how high you are. Many people think this way about Christ, being a Christian. They think that being a Christian means being blessed. Therefore, their life should be better than it was before, right? So for the sake of the glory of God, they should be richer, they should be healthier, they should be higher in the status, their children should be more successful, and so on and so forth. But boasting Jesus is boasting the way you are. That's it, the way you are. And the way you are, I love you just the way you are, right? Billy Joel's song, I used to love that song when I was in high school. Don't change the color of your hair. I just love the way you are. And Jesus loves us the way we are. It doesn't mean that we keep on sinning and do wicked stuff after grace. We've got to change. But even in our weaknesses, he, he is glorified when we boast about him. So you don't have to think like, I have nothing to boast about. My life looks really sucky right now. I don't have anything to boast about. You shouldn't feel like that. The way you are, you boast. Because Jesus is, he is the source of pride yesterday, today, and forever. And regardless of how my life looks, he is the most high. Hallelujah. So when you give, when you preach, you give testimony. And when you give testimony, you talk about yourself frankly sincerely, honestly. So when newcomers come and they come to, they participate in the dedication service and listen to personal testimonies, first thing they say about it is like, how, like, oh my God, they're talking about themselves so openly. And a lot of pastors come to Zoe Conference in Korea and in the, in the States too, and they say, Pastor Kang, how can she talk about herself so openly? They get so shocked about many, many things. But one of the things they, they get shocked about her preaching is how honest she is about herself. And a lot of times the preaching can be dry, but at the end of it, they get moved by her honesty of her weaknesses and her, her, all her past and how she is today too. So power of preaching comes from being honest, being sincere, uh, and being sincere about your weaknesses. You share with others about how weak you were, how lowly you were, how, what kind of worthless being you were when you met Jesus, you know, that you were an addict, you were a loser, you were homeless, you were, you were this and you were that, you know, you went to jail, you went all that stuff. Talk about it. Because in doing so, who is glorified? Jesus. And if he can be glorified, wouldn't you want to even, whatever that you need to do to glorify him? And if he's glorified by me boasting about uh, him um, through my lowliness, my weakness, my sinfulness of the past and all those things, then we should do it freely, we should do it gladly. D, boast, testifying the experience of grace. It is critical um, for Christians to experience the grace of God. Um, if you don't have an experience 
then you can't be a witness. You can't be a bold uh, witness. You can't be a faithful and confident witness. Um, and certainly grace requires, it, grace demands experience. And you've heard me say it and Pastor Kang say it too. Uh, when talking about grace, you need to emotionally express. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, the saying goes, boys don't cry. You have to cry, you know. Um, like, uh, you remember Freddie who gave testimony two weeks ago uh, on Friday about the retreat? He, when he first came, he was crying. I was like, okay, well, okay, whatever. They kept showing up, but then he kept crying. And then I said, so how was the service? He goes, oh, I don't know what's happening. He kept hiding like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Freddie, right, the, with the guns? Uh, but no more guns. They're kind of going like this now. But <laughs> since he quit gym, he's kind of shrinking. But it's beautiful anyway. He's, he's given up what he was addicted to. Uh, but he was crying. It was so cute. He was talking to me. He's like, he didn't want anybody. He didn't care about me because I'm pastor. I guess he was more open. But when, as soon as other people were walking, he was, oh, my God, I don't know what's going on with me. And he was, like, crying. And he's like, I can't stop. And, I mean, manly guy like that is crying. Who can make him cry? It's not me. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. Grace has to be received and experienced through emotion and through your body. It has to be... Uh, an unforgettable experience. You have to have an experience. So if you don't first have your emotion to it, uh, you can't boldly testify about it. You're going to be just saying, like, yeah, there's a thing called grace. You want it? This is God's gift. I received it. You can have it. Okay? Amen? It's just theory. There's no communication. The other person is not going to get it because you didn't get it. For you to truly get it, you have to have experience. So the first, there are many experiences. The first thing that you can testify is about healing. Being healed from any disease by God and God alone is an excellent topic for testimony. So when you, sh- uh, the reason why you're testifying about your healing experience is not that itself, but it is about the grace of God. You want to talk about the grace of God. You want to talk about the redemption and the forgiveness of sin by the works of Jesus Christ. But for uh, you to make that real, you have to have some sort of experience in your life. And one powerful testimony, and therefore experience, is healing. When Jesus healed uh, in Matthew 8, 9, uh, he healed a man with leprosy. And after he was healed, he told him to go and show his body to the priests and offer the gifts that Moses uh, commanded as a testimony, right? So he had to give an offering as a testimony of this healing of his body. So Jesus commanded that uh, from that uh, man. He also said to another uh, sick person who was healed in Luke 8, uh, 38 to 39, to go tell his Uh, tell his relatives about what happened to him. So when you're healed and you are just overjoyed, don't keep it to yourself. You have to right away give testimony. Testimony through offering, testimony through your lips. You have to share. Because your experience won't mean anything if you don't share. It's not bragging, but it is to talk about. And that's the the right kind of bragging. You're not showing off yourself. You're showing off how weak you are. Yet Jesus, who is strong, who is the healer, set you free from your diseases. Amen. So be bold and joyful and don't hide it. Don't hide it. you got to share it. So... um, uh, Healing uh, from sicknesses, uh, especially from terminal diseases, it can be cancer, but uh, we also give examples of mental illness, you know, mental illness, disease, um, 
depression, anxiety, multiple personality, schizophrenia, all these things, uh, all mental illnesses are incurable diseases. They are, by definition. You have to be medicated and have th therapy or even uh, institutionalized to uh, not cure, but to control it. Uh, so it is very, very difficult for mentally ill people to, uh, to be set free. But even in our church, many people share this testimony about depression. Depression is so common now. Uh, but they talk about how they were so depressed and they were even suicidal. But by being healed through his grace, they are no longer suicidal. They're no longer depressed. But they're full of joy. Do you have this experience? Amen. Amen. If you haven't been depressed in all your life, maybe you have a little bit of a problem. I mean, if you think a lot and you are kind of mature, you get very serious. Everyone, everyone has some experience of depression. Everyone. I mean, the longer you uh, have it and the greater your battle, then yet yeah, you are labeled as clinically depressed. But many of us experience, even myself too, those ep episodes of depression. You feel sad. You know, you feel feeling sad and you can't do anything about it. But those sadness, Jesus took away. Not because you got your dream job or you marry the perfect guy or your life is so perfect. It's not about that. But you know that is Jesus behind this freedom, that healing uh, came from him. So it is very, very effective for you to give your testimony at the end of uh, preaching so that uh, experience of grace is real. Now, there are times where people give testimonies about their unusual experiences. They call it testimony, like oh, I had a dream last night, or I dreamt 10 years ago, and Jesus showed up. Or I prayed really hard, I was fasting, and Jesus was standing in front of me. You know, he was talking, to, he was saying something. You know, so you're listening. Or the Holy Spirit filled me up, and he told me to put on a pair of red shoes today, to walk east today. You know, and they said, this is my testimony. I experienced the presence of God, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. He's going to take me to go to this church, and tomorrow he's going to take me to another church. You know, that kind of stuff, um, whether it's real or not, it is unusual, and it is um, not universal. So keep it to yourself. Keep it to yourself. So uh, I don't mean to dismiss your experiences, but... Uh, Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 or 4. He said, I, I don't know whether I, he was talking about uh, experience from 14 years ago. And he said he didn't know whether he was in body or out of body, but he went to the third heaven. So it sounds like he went, had a vision, but he kept it to himself for 14 years. Isn't it amazing? Like, Paul is not like us at all. I'd rather be with Peter. But anyway, I do admire Paul. Don't get me wrong. But he's like, so, they're so humble, so humble. Uh, if that happened to me, I would be like, what happened? I cannot, oh, I got, you got to give. I got to give it away. So I'd be like dying to give it away. Guess what? You know? But Paul kept it to himself because it will throw your listener to confusion if you talk about that stuff. You know, if you talk about these unusual experiences that are not general, not universally experienced by many, um, and you do it side by side with the gospel of uh, Jesus, uh, of God, then they get confused. They think that experience is just as important as grace. So you cause confusion. You don't want to do that. So only if your testimony is in line with the gospel and it is universally experienced and it enhances, it supports, it complements, supplements, uh, not that grace is not perfect itself, but it strengthens it as you deliver it, then go ahead. Be free and, and talk about it and do it. Uh, but if it's unusual, don't do it. Um, when Jesus was preaching and during his 
uh, three years of ministry, he healed so many people. So he, his time was consumed by teaching, preaching, and healing. He was healing day after day. He healed countless people. Um, and it was for them to experience redemption and salvation in their flesh. Right? So that was what Jesus came to do, to redeem and to save, to forgive and save. But before he did it, he healed many, many people so that they would experience redemption and salvation in their bodies. So when Jesus healed the paralytic man in Matthew uh, chapter 9, he said, he declared that this man's sins were forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. So his healing comes as a result of the forgiveness of sin. So that's what Jesus was going to do at the cross. Uh, and it was sort of preview when he was doing it before uh, his, his death. So it's important for us to experience redemption and salvation in our own flesh uh, as well. Number two, prayers, answer prayers are uh, good uh, testimonies. Having your prayers answered and you know that it was only God who answered your prayer, that you have no doubt that it wasn't anyone else but God, then it can be a great testimony. A great testimony. Um, you know, people, people have said, like, oh, you, you're so confident about what you say. You're so passionate about Jesus. Uh, and, I, you know, I can be smart, but I am also naive. Naive? I don't know what you call it, but I believe. You know, if it's true, I believe. And um, I'm so embarrassed to admit this, but until I was, like, 11, I believed in Santa. 11, like almost 12, I believe in Santa Claus. I am so embarrassed to say that now, but um, I really believe. Because my parents, they just are good liars. They say, you better be good if you want Santa to bring that. It's like, oh, okay. So we, <laughs> she's sharpening the six sticks. You remember that, right? She's sharpening the wood sticks. Or around Christmas time, Santa's going to find out. <gasps> okay, so stop. The, you know, it's like, oh, brush teeth, brush teeth. Because we got a lot of beatings because we didn't want to brush teeth. But now I'm just like, I need to brush my teeth. <laughs> it's, the, it's the abuse, the abuse that got me to brush teeth. Anyway, <laughs> you remember when Friday Pastor talked about the wood sticks? I remember the sticks on top of the GE refrigerator. We had a GE refrigerator, and, and it was just a bag of wooden sticks. It was like child abuse. But anyway, <laughs> but I know you were also abused too. So. <laughs> um, the reason why I brought a Santa, cause, yeah, because uh, around the uh, Santa um, Christmas time, we went to church. And as, when I was younger, we went to church on Sundays, and I went to uh, Sunday school in front of our apartment uh, every Sunday, and maybe vacation Bible school I did. Uh, so I kind of associated Santa Claus with Jesus. Like, I thought they were kind of similar, Santa Claus and God. And we didn't have a tree, but we had sort of lighting, and we had this round thing with lights at night, and they kind of blink, and there's picture of chubby Santa Claus, just his head. So I would look at it, and I would look at it like it's Jesus. <laughs> and I would pray. I said, uh, not Jesus, Santa, please bring me color pencils. This year. Please. And then I was praying one year. I said, please bring me a cross necklace. I don't know why I wanted a cross necklace. But I said, please get me a cross necklace. Every night I pray for weeks and weeks. And uh, Christmas Eve, I was sleeping, and I was so excited I couldn't sleep one year. I remember waking up every 30 minutes, checking, because uh, parents would always leave gift on top, not like under, because we didn't have a tree. It was on top of our pillows. I was like touching it, like, oh, no, it's not there. He's not coming. He's not coming. I wake up again, and it's not there. It's not there. And, um, and I guess around some time, when I did fall asleep and I woke up, I was like, oh, my God, it's the calling pencil and the cross. And I ran to my parents' room, who were so tired, because they were waiting for me to go to sleep, waiting and waiting. <laughs> Guess what? Santa brought 
rubbed me color pencil and necklace. Oh, really? And they were <laughs> so I really believe that he answered my prayer because I thought he was God. Santa was God. But boy, was I wrong. I am so embarrassed. I mean, even Erin at the age of like four, she knew Santa was not real. Um, but there I was at the age of 11, believing in Santa. Um, so... I naively, naive, naively believed. And religious people are like that. You know, they tend to believe that too, that just anybody they pray to, somehow they're going to get answered uh, back. But Christians, because we believe in the grace of God, we believe in the power of the name Yeshua. When we believe uh, in him, that nothing is impossible in him, and by his name we can do all things, that he is the healer, the owner, the master, um, the maker of all things. And when we, with that faith, trust in him and pray for Thing one, and then thing one comes. I pray for thing two, and then thing two comes. Um, you can, at times, we do need to eat. Children of God need to eat, and we need to pray and have experience of receiving daily bread through jobs, um, through whatever help that you need. Uh, you don't, it, not necessarily out of greed, but you know, in the beginning when you're Christian, you can pray for just about anything, and prayer co- answer comes like right away. But when you grow in your fifth year, tenth year, twentieth year of Christian Christian life, prayer doesn't come that or that off that quickly. You know, he waits and waits and he tests you and things get harder, you have to wait longer. But answers, prayers are answers nevertheless. Even after my death, some prayers will be answered. So even though they're not answered right away, they are certainly answered. And when you know that it was one hundred percent God and no one else, then you have greater confidence and conviction that it was God that it was his grace. So then you can be a bold or bolder uh, witness to that experience. Jesus said in John 14, 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Uh, in our church, we teach about healing, and we teach about healing by the name Yeshua and the name Yeshua alone. Um, we don't say that you sin because you go to hospital, because you take aspirin, that you go to hell. We don't say that. Uh, you can't. You can't. It, you do have a freedom. But it is a matter of your faith. If you, be, if you are praying for uh, healing from disease and, let's say, I don't know, some condition you have, you have choice to take medication or go medical help, or you go just all in for the name Yeshua, the name Jesus. All or nothing. All or nothing. So all medic- medicine or all uh, Jesus. If you do in-between... Let's say, well, I'm, I believe in Jesus, and I also believe in doctors, and I believe doctors. God made doctors, and God made medicine, so God can work through doctors and medicine. Well, a lot of Christians believe that. So you, you pray, and you take medication, you seek medical treatment, you go see the doctor, and you're healed. And then you can say, well, I pray to God, and he healed me. Or I pray to God, and this wonderful doctor came. Inside of your heart, you're not 100% sure if it's God, or it was the not doctor, but medication or some sort of treatment, you don't have 100% conviction that it was God because you use some other, there's another factor into that, right? Um, it's like an equation. If you add more things in, you're not so sure of the outcome. But if you only have Jesus, the only thing you put in was prayer in the name Yeshua and you're healed and you're, you're, you're feeling all okay and you have no more symptoms, then you know it was the name Yeshua that healed you. Amen. So then you become more convicted, more convinced, and your faith grows as a result. And so many of us have the experience in this room. 
Amen? You have that experience that nobody else did it. No doctor did it. No aspirin did it. No Advil did it. No uh, treatment did it. No surgery did it. But it was Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? So we need to have this experience. I know it sounds extremist and it's almost crazy, but we have that kind of, we have that faith. We want to have that faith to take all risks in so that we can receive all blessings as a result. When we take the risk and we plunge, uh, when we leap, leap, make the leap of faith, he will not watch us drown. He's not going to make us die. He's going to catch us. He's going to catch us. Sometimes he catches us a little bit, a little bit slow. Sometimes he catches us right away. Sometimes he catches us just right before we hit the water, he catches us. But he certainly catches us if it were really out of true faith and trust in his name. Amen. So when you have this experience, be bold and be joyful and share that experience. Because some people can say, well, I don't believe a thing. But when you talk about, well, I've been healed. All my symptoms are gone. I was, I was, I was suffering like this, and immediately I saw a result. And they listen. They go, really? Really? Because it's about them. You know, like grace, the cross, all that. It's so abstract. But when you talk about healing, I have sickness too. I want to be healed. So they listen. You know, they, they open their hearts. They open the door a little bit more. And you can confidently then talk about the grace of Jesus. Amen. Three, life transformation. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your, praise your Father in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Your life, uh, transformed life, your changed life is an excellent testimony. Excellent. Um, you were an atheist, as I think many of us here, or you were a Catholic, or you were Buddhist, you were Muslim, or you were Hindu, whatever you were, or you were agnostic, whatever, you, whatever label you had, but you now believe in Jesus. Uh, like Zen was sharing with us during the retreat, right, Zen? You said... This God, I don't know about this God. I, I didn't think about much about God. And now he says, God bless you. Do you know that, right? So, and he's like, well, why are you talking about that? I'm talking about it because it's an amazing transformation. Isn't it amazing that you couldn't even think about who God was? Like, what? What is God? Who is God? And then, then you are so, uh, you have that faith and you are so moved and touched. You say, God bless you. Because you believe in God and you, ble- you believe in his blessing. Isn't that amazing? That's a huge leap of change. And be proud of it. Be proud of the fact that you change. That you change in your thinking, in your philosophy, in your values. You know, because as, as, the, on the outside, it seems like there's no change. But on the inside, your thinking is changing. This is a, this is a big deal. Who's going to change your thinking within a matter of, I don't know, months? Who's going to change that? Only God can do that. Um, then there are some obvious ones that you can talk about. Addictions. Um, if you have been set free from any kind of addictions, uh, drinking, drugging, smoking, gambling, pornography, uh, internet, um, chatting, or whatever it is, um, and it seems like there's more addictions possible today than they were before, uh, you can talk about that. You know, of course, you don't need to talk about it too much in detail, uh, because sometimes we have to cross out details for dedication. It's like, 
we love you. We don't want you to talk about that, you know. But um, but we do want you to talk about certain things, right? Because the reason why we want to uh, censor, cut out, edit out some of the stuff is sometimes people give too much information, and then they get they come down from the stage. They go, Oh my God! Everybody, just, I just said to everybody, and everyone's looking at me funny. And they do look at you funny, right? So then you don't want to talk about that, right? So we want to protect some privacy. But, uh, but to the comfortable level, you should reveal about your problem. I mean, if you were, many people give uh, testimonies about being an alcoholic, uh, you know, ex-alcoholic or gambler or drug addict. You know, I was a drug dealer. Many people talk about that. Or ex-con. I, I went to jail for this kind of work, this kind of crime. So you can talk about how Believing in Jesus, receiving grace brought you so much joy, greater joy, that you don't even need to do any of those things to be happy anymore. Is that true? Amen. You don't need no drugs, no smoking, none of this stuff. You don't need it because the joy that Jesus gives is so much greater. Hallelujah. Being materialistic. Um, you used to feel empty without having things, having materials, having money, having expensive jewels, uh, jewelry, uh, expensive items, expensive clothing, expensive uh, bags, whatever. Uh, you used to feel empty. Why do people do that? Why do people spend gazillion dollars? It's like, you heard this earful from Pastor too. It's like a bag costs $10,000, diamond ring, $100,000. I mean, of course, it's just like infinite. You can go as, as much as whatever, but... Um, people spend that much of money who are middle class or even lower middle class or they work like crazy, they have labor job, but they spend all that money on that. Uh, why? Because they feel empty. They feel inferior. So to kind of be somebody, they have to fill themselves with things, right? So that's how they become somebody or they feel like somebody. But after you meet Jesus, you don't need anything to make you feel like somebody. You are somebody already. Jesus bought you with his blood. You belong to the king of kings. He gave you the joy of all joys. So you don't need all those things to be joyful. You don't, you don't need those things to be happy anymore. Amen. Amen. So you can't just say, I love Jesus and my life changed, and you still like those things. You have to change. You know, you can't go out and preach uh, with, like, expensive bags and all the diamond rings and believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. <laughs> wow. That's what happens if you believe Jesus. Rocks are flying. Diamonds are flying everywhere. You know, even if you have nothing, you have the greatest joy now. I used to love all those things. You heard Pastor Kang last night. It's just like, I wish. Didn't you feel like that? Am I the only one? Oh, I wish I'm like that, right? Um, and because she's my mother, I know. You know, it's like three-second rule. Figure it out. <laughs> you know, name that price. You know, three seconds. We, get, we, don't, even turn, we don't even need to turn the, turn the head. Figure it out. So she was so quick with all the uh, brands and all the... You know what I'm talking about, right? Three seconds to figure out what they're wearing, like items, like scanning the body. She was like that. She was so worldly, so materialistic. Her, her sister, and shopping was their hobby, and um, they used to memorize all the brand names, and when they got together, you know, who has the bigger, who has more toys? That was their topic, you know, and if they don't have anything to show off, they don't go to those meetings because they feel bad about themselves. But having received grace means you don't need those things, that you're changing every day, that you're giving up, giving up, giving up, and you feel like you need to give up more. 
It's that. And you don't feel embarrassed about that. They look at you like you have three heads. Like, what? What's wrong with you? But being a Christian, knowing grace means that you feel proud to be lowly. You be proud to be poor. Not because you mismanaged your money and you have debt because of your irresponsibility, but because you gave up for Christ. Don't get that wrong. Just because you don't have money, God is being glorified. It doesn't mean that. The source. How did you get poor? Why are you living the way you are? Because you cheated somebody or you, you were irresponsible managing money? No, because I gave up for him willingly, intentionally. And that's joy and that's testimony. So church ought to be a place where having things should be embarrassing. And not having things should bring you pride and joy. Selfishness. Somebody who used to be selfish. All about me, 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 me. But now finds joy in sharing what he has or she has with others. Becoming selfless. Selfish turns selfless. And they care for others before themselves. Before they eat the first bite, they eat someone One thing that I look, I mean, because I am Korean and American at the same time, I value both, and I realize how much Korean I am, and especially in the church when I go to Europe, when we eat. Uh, You know, Koreans serve their pastors, and they are so, that's why when Europeans come, they're shocked when they look at Zoe. It's like people serve, bowing, and all that stuff. They're like, wow, we don't see this in American culture. Um, But European culture, even more. Post-Soviet countries, uh, with communism, everyone being equal, every man for himself. So when we eat, uh, and I'm exhausted because I just like sweated out for two lectures, and it's the third day, whatever, and I'm wiped out. I just want to sit, but I have to get in line to get my food. Nobody's getting it for me. Nobody. It's like, you know. But I, sometimes they go, oh, okay, you can cut in line, but it's like almost at the end of, <laughs> end of line. I had to kind of adjust. But when I did in Czech Republic, Pastor Nam and his wife are there, so they help me. So they bring me uh, the food from the buffet line. So it's better for us to have a sit-down like service uh, for those uh, hotels. But there are times when we have to line up. And I get, I get kind of like shocked. I go, because I'm thinking like, oh, my God, I better get rid of my expectation. Maybe I became proud. I'm repenting, you know, because I'm expecting to be served. But in Europe, it's like, hey, this is your line. Okay, everybody get their soup. You know, everybody's on his own. Um, so it's like a cultural adjustment. We have to be selfless, selfless. You know, before you take the first bite, serve someone else. Before you take the piece of cake, give it to someone else. It's that kind of sharing and selflessness that we need to acquire. We need to become as a result of uh, transformation. And number four, last one. giving thanks for salvation. The greatest testimony, the greatest, greater than anything, is being forgiven and being saved. That's the greatest testimony. And this everyone has. Everyone. In Luke 15, Jesus gives parables about the lost drachma, the lost sheep, and the lost son. The woman who loses her drachma, she would have 100, but she could only find 99. For her to find the hundredth, she turns the whole house upside down. And when she finds that one last coin, when she had 99 already, it's not because she was greedy, but she loved all her hundred drachma. She called her friends and celebrated because she found that one drachma. Uh, The shepherd who loses one sheep while he had found 99, leaves the 99 to go look for the one that was lost. And when he goes, he finds and rescues this one lost sheep, and he celebrates and the father who loses his, para- his prodigal son while he has another son 
the son who goes home, goes out and spends all father's money and becomes lost. When he comes back, the father throws a banquet. He throws a party and he celebrates the return of his prodigal son. And the younger son, uh, the older son said, what is this? I work for you all these years. I don't go anywhere. And all I do is work for you. And this son of yours uses all your money, throws it away, and comes home, and you throw him a party. You don't even throw me a party. I don't have my friends invited. And the father said, you're always with me. So what I have, what I have is yours. My son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but he's alive. So... God rejoices. The Father in heaven rejoices when one more soul returns to him. One soul being saved is what brings joy to the Father. So this is why we need to preach. This is why we need to bring people. And that's why we need to keep people in the church. When We, we don't want to lose one more. You understand? You think, it's just me. It's not going to make any difference. I'm going to go somewhere else. It's not like I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to go somewhere else. But to God who pay the highest price to buy you, to make you be here, the church in the church that he bought. He doesn't want to lose any. He doesn't want to lose any. And it's this kind of heart that every leader needs to have, every preacher needs to have, every witness needs to have that. Loving that one soul, not to lose even one, to make sure one more returns and not lose even one. So we need to have these experiences uh, as a result of receiving grace. Without your Christian life, without knowing grace, without understanding grace, is actually harmful. If you are a church member for a long time and you have titles in the church or whatever, but you don't know grace, you just come to church, I don't know, for loyalty or for some logical reason, makes sense, or sort of insurance policy. If I don't come to church, maybe I'll go to hell or I'll get hit by a car or I'll get robbed. So you come to church, you come without knowing grace, without experiencing grace, then you are harming yourself, you're harming other people. So we cannot have Christian life without experiencing grace. And if you have experienced grace and you experience his grace daily, you know, the one time, there's one time change, and then daily you experience his forgiveness. Daily you experience his grace by healing, answers to prayer, and life transformation, all forgiveness of sin. As you sin today, you kneel down and you repent, and you have peace in your heart, and you know that you've been forgiven. Daily you experience his grace. Then you ought to become like yeast. When yeast is added in flour, flour rises. So when we go, we have to throw celebration. There has to be celebration. There has to be revival. There has to be commotion. Either they love us or they hate us. So wherever I go, I have to turn that world upside down. And that's what Pastor Kang done for us. And we're not close to it. I'm certainly not close to it. But we have to try. We have to try that wherever I go, whoever I meet, I got to turn that world upside down. Upside down. Because my world was turned upside down because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you know his grace, you have to share it with others. Share it with others, and it is to boast about what Jesus has done for us. Isn't he good? Isn't God good? He's good. He is good. No one is like him. There is no one like him. And, there, you know, the more you know him, the more you know about what he done for you, and the more you, you know who you are, the more you love him. The more you love him. And you don't need to be told to pray, told to preach, told to serve, told to give dedication. Now we have to give dedication. You know, it's like, oh, same wall again. Oh, my God. For the next two months, my life is shot. I got to give money. Oh, my God. I got to give offering. If he died for you, wouldn't you want to give your life for him? You know, we sing about it all the time. But we feel burdened. 
Why is it that we feel burdened? We should feel like, I should do more. I'm so embarrassed. This offering is so small compared to what he's done for me. So daily we do our best. And each season we do our best. The reason why we give our dedication with our talent, with our money, with, our, with souls, with our time, is to give thanks and to pay back because we owe him. We owe him. He paid the price. I owe him my life. So let us experience this grace and become bold and confident and joyful witnesses of his grace. Hallelujah. Let's pray. You've heard grace many, many times, and if you attend any EM retreat, you heard uh, grace for days. It is important, critical for you and for me to examine ourselves whether we truly understand grace. Has he called you by his grace? Has he forgiven you by his grace? Are you strong in his grace? Have you been bought by his grace? Have you been sold by his grace? And if the answer is yes, then the way you should live your life is clear, is certain. It is to live for him. There should be no more me, but it should be only Christ. More of him, less of me every day. So let's call out his name. Let's pray and ask him for help. Approach the throne of grace so we may experience and be confident of his grace so we can even give our life in testifying for what he has done for us. Pray, Yeshua! Our Father in heaven, we give you all the praise and all the thanks and all the glory for all you have done. We were once blind, but now we see. We were once lost, but now we are found. We were once dead in sin, but we are now alive in you, our Christ. There's no word and no money and nothing in the world that can express our hearts of gratitude and love. But we are grateful that you remind us through the word of what you have done for us. The price that we can never pay. The thing that we can never do. It is to die on our behalf. To taste spiritual death for us. And that's what you did for us, Jesus. You died at the cross with our sins. With the price of our sins. You carry the cross and you became sin on our behalf. So we may become righteous. And it is all your grace, all by your grace. It is the precious blood of Jesus, the precious blood of God that is flowing in us and testifying in us that you are indeed the Lord of grace, the Father of grace. Help us to be bold witnesses and bear our crosses, take up our crosses and follow you, for you have done it for us. Let us not consider any demand, any command as burden. For your yoke, your burden is light. 
and you are gentle. We want to learn from you. We want to walk with you for all you have done for us. We want to give our lips in testifying and boasting about you. We want to give our lives in sharing this grace to whomever you send in our way. Help us to gain one more soul for you, to return him to you. Help us to not even lose one for your sake. We want to press on and testify this grace of your gospel, of your grace, until you come back. So in that day, we may finally end Enter into your grace. Enter into your grace until you call us by your grace once again into the air. Help us to go out to the streets, go out to our homes and, and from the pulpit, from the, from the streets, from wherever we are, let us boldly preach this gospel of your grace. Give us boldness and give us fruit. Father, hear our prayer and we know you will certainly hear us and answer us. We give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you all the glory for you alone deserve them. In your name, Yeshua, we pray. Amen.